You know what Jesus is saying? Listen, live like you really believe I'm coming back. Keep that in your mind. Be on the alert to that reality. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. The Hebrew Scriptures known as the Old Testament and the New Testament that follows it are both filled with passages having to do with future events, prophecy. But for what reason? What is the purpose of prophecy in general? And does it have a role in today's world? Hi, I'm Bill Wright. Today, Tom has part 15 of a series titled, The Future According to Jesus, exploring what Christ had to say about the end times and his eventual return. In Mark's gospel, you'll find Christ's teaching to his disciples in a passage known as the Olivet Discourse. From the second half of the discourse, Tom continues a close look at the topic of prophecy in general, its role in today's world, and the role it plays in your life. Many things prophesied may never occur in your lifetime, but there are still some very practical ways of your being attentive, ready, and obedient here in the interim. Keep all that in mind as we join Tom Pennington now on The Word Unleashed. Why did God fill his book to us with prophecy? He didn't need to tell us about the future. So why did he do that? Listen to the primary reason given by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 44 and verse 6. God says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. I'm the only living and true God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim and declare it. Yes, let him recount it to me in order from the time that I established the ancient nation. And here it is. And let them declare to them the things that are coming and the events that are going to take place. You know what God is saying? He's saying, I have made prophecies. I have told you what is coming from long ago so that you will understand and know that I am the only living and true God because there are no other so-called gods that make the predictions and the prophecies that our God has made. He tells us the future because he maps out the future. He causes the future to come to pass. And so really, at its heart, the primary purpose of prophecy is to show that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is the one and only living and true God. And that includes the prophecy of the Olivet Discourse. But what is the purpose of prophecy to the people to whom it's given? especially if those people are not going to live to see its fulfillment. Let's ask the question more specifically. What purpose did the Olivet Discourse that we're studying together from Mark's Gospel have for the disciples? Clearly, history shows they were not going to live to its fulfillment. So why would Christ give them that prophecy? 
what purpose does the Olivet Discourse serve for us who may see it, but who may not? Well, Christ didn't leave us in the dark on this question because at the end of the Olivet Discourse, he applies the truth that he's taught, the prophecy that he's given to the four disciples who ask their questions about the future and whose questions he answered in this famous sermon. And he directly and deliberately applies this sermon about the future to us as well, as we will see. He mentions us as it were, by name. So let's look again at this amazing chapter, Mark 13. In this chapter, Jesus explains how the period of human history will end. It ends with a seven-year period called the tribulation. The rapture occurs before this seven-year period, the period that's also called Daniel's 70th week in Daniel 9. This seven-year period is initiated not by the rapture. It's not connected immediately to the rapture, but it's really initiated, according to Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2, by this person called the man of sin being revealed and is making a covenant with Israel. During the first three and a half years, the five seals in the book of Revelation are broken. It's called by Mark the beginning of birth pangs. At the middle of the seven years, at three and a half years, the man of sin breaks the covenant he's made and he sets up what is called the abomination of desolation. Something that is abominable to God and ruins the temple. It's compared to what Antiochus Epiphanes did in 163 BC when he slaughtered a pig on the altar, forced the priest to eat its flesh, and then set up a statue to Zeus some sort of an object of worship. According to 2 Thessalonians 2, apparently it will be an image of himself. That will initiate the second three and a half years, which the Bible calls the Great Tribulation. During that period of time, seals 6 and 7, out of which come seven trumpet judgments, seven bowl judgments. That time, if the first three and a half years is called the beginning of labor, the Final three and a half years is hard labor. And it ends, it culminates with the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's the period of time Jesus is discussing in Mark 13. Now the sermon is organized into four parts. So far we have studied a couple of the parts. The beginning of birth pangs in chapter 13 verses 5 to 13. That's from Christ's time all the way up through the midpoint of the tribulation period. Verses 14 to 23 cover the second three and a half years, the great tribulation. We have also looked at the second coming in verses 24 to 27. Tonight, we come to the fourth and final part of this great sermon, and it's the exhortation to his disciples. When you put the three accounts of the Olivet Discourse together, that's Matthew's account, Mark's account, and Luke's account, you discover that Jesus finishes this sermon with three basic parts. First of all, in all three Gospels that record it, you have the parable of the fig tree. We'll look at that in just a moment. That is followed by five parables. The first of those parables occurs here in Mark's Gospel. The other four 
in Matthew. These are the parables. There's the parable of the doorkeeper that we'll look at in Mark's gospel. And then Matthew records the parable of the thief. If you knew what time the thief was coming, you would be prepared. The slave who's put in charge of his master's possessions. The ten virgins. And the parable of the talents. He concluded that sermon, according to Matthew 25, with what is called the judgment of the sheep and goats. That is simply... Christ's judgment of those who are still alive at the end of the tribulation period. It's sometimes called the judgment of nations, or the nations. It's not a judgment of nations as nations. It's a judgment of the peoples of the world individually. Now, as you look at that list, Mark includes just item number one, the parable of the fig tree, and the parable, the first parable there under the five parables, the parable of the doorkeeper. And that's the passage that we want to look at tonight. Mark chapter 13, and I want to begin in verse 28. Jesus, having just prophesied the second coming, says this, Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and it puts forth its leaves you know that the summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that He is near right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It's like a man away on a journey, who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Now, In the passage we just read, Jesus delivers a series of exhortations in light of the prophecy that he has just made. He intends that every single one of his disciples in every time and in every place respond to this prophecy of the future by heeding these exhortations. These exhortations are for me and for you, whether we will be alive to see these things unfold or not. So, the prophecies themselves, we may never live to see. They may be after our lifetimes. But the lessons that Jesus teaches in this paragraph I've just read for you are intended for us today and for every Christian in every time. So let's look at these exhortations. First of all, there is this exhortation. Understand the timing of the end. Verse 28, now learn the parable from the fig tree. The images of both a grapevine and a fig tree are used throughout Scripture to picture Israel, but not here. 
Here in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus is using it as a simple illustration because the fig tree was one and is one of the few deciduous trees in Israel, one of the few that loses its leaves. Most of the trees there are evergreens. This one, however, loses its leaves, so it becomes a perfect illustration. We know that he's not picturing the fig tree as Israel or some some picture like that because of what Luke tells us. Luke quotes our Lord as saying, hear the parable of the fig tree and all the trees. So he's simply using a picture from nature. He's using one of the deciduous fruit trees as an example. Now notice how he continues. Now learn the parable from the fig tree and all the trees. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. The fig tree loses its leaves in the winter, and in March, April, in that period of time, as the sap begins to run into its branches, they become tender and pliable. And shortly after this, it begins to sprout leaves. In the land of Israel, once the fig tree sprouts leaves, it's not very long before summer is there. There's a very short springtime. Summer was just around the corner when the fig tree and the deciduous trees began to sprout their leaves. That's the point. It's a very simple point. You look at a tree, you see them leafing out, and you say, summer's near. Jesus then applies this simple illustration, verse 29. Even so, you too, when you see all these things happening, recognize that he is near right at the door. Now, by these things, Jesus means all of the signs that he has been describing in this sermon. When you see earthquakes and famines and wars and rumors of wars and horrific persecution of believers combined with the abomination of desolation, the man of sin causing worship in the temple to cease, setting up an image of himself to be worshipped. When you see signs in the heavens, the sun darkened, the moon losing its light, the stars leaving their orbit, meteors raining down upon the earth. When you see these things happening, Jesus says, recognize that he is near even at the door. Now, the Greek words that are translated here, he is near, are a little more ambiguous than that. It could be he is near, as the NAS has translated it here, meaning Jesus, the Son of Man, in his second coming is near. But it could also be legitimately translated, the language could, as it is near. And and I think that's probably the better translation because of what Luke says in his record of the Olivet Discourse. In Luke 21.31, he says, So you also, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. So when you see these things happening, recognize that the end of the age is coming and the kingdom of God. God is near, even at the door. It's at the threshold. It's knocking on the door. It's here. Now, look at verse 30. Truly, and and here Jesus gives a little more meaning to how near it is. 
He says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. This verse has proven to be probably the most difficult verse in the entire Olivet Discourse to interpret. It has been subject to various interpretations throughout the years. Now, some of you who are more my age or older will remember this. But when I was growing up, here's how this was described. See if you heard this. As I heard it, the fig tree in verse 29 was Israel. And its having tender branches and growing leaves after a period of winter was explained as Israel's becoming a nation in 1948. You heard this? It became a nation in 1948. In light of that then, the expression, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place, must mean that after a typical 40-year generational period, or that before that was completed, everything in the Olivet Discourse would be fulfilled. In other words, the rapture, The tribulation and the second coming must all occur within 40 years of Israel's becoming a nation in 1948. That meant the end of the age would come in what? 1988. There was even a book that created quite a stir at the time called 88 Reasons Jesus Must Return in 1988. You remember that? If you're interested in a copy, you can get one really cheap, let me tell you. Now, There are several interpretations of this verse, verse 30, that are more credible than that one. All right, I've already shown you it can't be Israel because Jesus said the fig tree and all the trees. He wasn't making some sort of allegory. He was making a simple illustration. So what are the possibilities of this generation? Well, some have said this generation is better translated as this race. And the Greek word for generation can mean race, and in a couple places in the New Testament, it is, it is used that way. Those who hold this view would say that Jesus is assuring us that the Jewish race, the Jewish people, will survive to the end. Now that's true. We know that's true from other passages, but that's not likely what Jesus is saying in this verse. There's a second view of this generation that says it refers solely to those who were alive when Jesus spoke these words. In other words, Jesus was saying those who were listening to him, this generation that's hearing me speak these words will not pass away till all these things are completed. Many who hold this view believe that the events described in the Olivet Discourse were entirely fulfilled in 70 AD, including full preterists, even the second coming happened then, which is a heretical view. There's a third view of this generation, and it says this generation actually has a double fulfillment. First of all, it refers to the generation alive when Jesus spoke, and therefore to the events of 70 AD, which happened within a generation. The destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And then they would say, but that's not where its fulfillment stops. It also refers to the generation alive at the end of the age and then to all of those events that culminate with the second coming. The fourth and final view, and the one that I think is most likely, is this generation refers solely to the generation that will be alive when the signs that are mentioned in this sermon actually occur. 
So he's talking about the generation that's alive when they see all of these signs unfolding. This means that these events, when they start, the end will come quickly. There will be a brief duration. Once the end begins, the real end will come quickly. That's Jesus' point. Because of the context, because of the parable of the fig tree, I think this has to be what Jesus intends to say. Just as you see a a tree leaf, you say summer is close. There's not a long period of time before everything's wrapped up and summer's here. Jesus says the generation that sees these signs unfold, they're going to be the generation that sees the end come completely to pass. So understand the timing of the end. There's a second exhortation that Jesus makes at the end of this sermon. Not only understand the timing of the end, but secondly, trust Jesus' prediction of the end. Put your confidence in this. Look at verse 31. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, let's for a moment look at that verse outside of its context. I don't normally do that, but it has huge implications because Jesus makes two amazing assertions in this verse. First of all, he declares that the universe as we know it will pass away. Other passages of Scripture make that clear. Revelation 21.1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. It's coming. If you believe Jesus... If you really believe Jesus, then you need to understand this. As stable and secure as this planet seems, and as the universe itself seems, it will be completely destroyed and replaced by another. Heaven and earth will pass away. This universe will go out of existence. When does that happen? Read Revelation 20. It it happens when it's time for the great white throne of judgment, and then everything will go out of existence except Jesus Christ on his throne and all of humanity giving an account one by one to him. Heaven and earth will pass away. But Jesus then contrasts the instability of this universe with what he has taught. Notice he says, but my words will not pass away. Now, Jesus doesn't qualify that comment in any way, and so it has really far-reaching implications. Jesus is claiming, listen carefully, Jesus is claiming that what he said is on par with what God has said. Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. That's what Jesus is claiming for his words. Jesus makes the same comment in Matthew 5 about the Old Testament. Not one small Hebrew letter, not one stroke of a letter is going to fail before it's all completed. And now, here he says the same thing about his own teaching. Every word Jesus said is more permanent and more enduring than this planet we call home. Let that sink into your mind a moment. The only thing you can really count on is what Jesus said. Everything else that we count on, terra firma, sometimes it shakes and it's not firma, 
And there's going to come a time when it's going to go away. But my words, Jesus says, will not. The words Jesus spoke will be settled in heaven and will outlast the universe. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part 15 of his series, The Future According to Jesus. Tom will conclude this series with part 16 next time, and we hope you'll join us then. Well, we'd like you to know that Tom has a new book out titled The God Who Hears, a book of pastoral prayers. It features 31 scripture readings and accompanying pastoral prayers. Tom's book is available for purchase right now online at thewordunleashed.org. As always, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory explaining God's truth.